You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. A few weeks ago, um, we attended the funeral of my my dad's brother, his oldest brother, Uncle Bill. And... um, it was a, pretty much a, a normal funeral. My cousin, from my mom's side, was preaching the funeral of my uncle from my dad's side. And uh, he, he talked about how much uh, my aunt and uncle had meant to them. Uh, my aunt, of course, still being there, but how much they had meant to them over the last few months when he got to be their pastor. And he had told me privately um, how much uh, they, they had meant to him. Uncle Bill was 87. And, uh, but like most... Christian funerals, there was laughter and there were tears. Uh, there was there was both of those things. At the end of the service, there were military honors. Uh, he had served 41.9 years in the army. I don't know why he couldn't finish out that last point one, uh, but he served 41.9 years in the army, and uh, so they had the military honors there for him. At the end of the service, after Michael prayed. About 30 men came forward, and they, they stood in the front, facing the front, with their backs to the rest of us. And one of the, one of the men stood behind us and began roll call. And when he, did, when he began that, he simply called out people's names. He would say, Ranger so-and-so. And that man would say, President or President Sergeant. Um, that went on until all of those men were, uh, were called out in roll call. Then at the end, he said, Ranger Clark. There was no answer. And then he said, Ranger William Clark. And there was no answer. And then he said, Ranger William Hughes Clark. And he said at that time, with a, you could tell the breaking down of his voice, the emotion that, that was coming over him. One At that point, after the third try, one of the, uh, one of the men, I don't know which one it was, one of the men said, uh, Sergeant Ranger Clark has gone on to his next assignment, something like that, uh, with the Lord. And it was a, uh, it was a moving, moving thing. I have seen that before, but it's been a long time, and it wasn't somebody I was related to. We went, after that, we went to the Great Lakes National Seminary, Cemetery, <laughs> and uh, that's what they call a lot of seminaries, by the way. Um, and it was there, it was raining, it was cold. Uh, they had the 21-gun salute. I've been there, I've seen that done many times uh, with some of our men who have passed, uh, uh, Fred Juicy and uh, Sam Marino and some others, I think. Uh, I have seen that many times. And then after the 21-gun salute, Michael spoke for a few more minutes, and then two of the soldiers uh, came up, and they, uh, and you've all seen this, I'm sure, but they came up and they took a flag and they meticulously unfolded that flag, and they, uh, they unfurled it, and then they folded it back up very precisely. As they're, as they're trained to do. After that, they took the flag to my aunt and gave it to her, presented it to her, thanking her for uh, her husband's service. And then uh, one of the guys from the VA came over with the shells from the 21 gun salute and also gave those to her as a thank you uh, for her husband's service. As we sat in the funeral home uh, at the end of that service, I, I, I enjoyed hearing the memories of my uncle. I, I enjoyed we weren't close or anything. There was no problems. They just they lived further away. But when we were together, I just 
uh, it was, I remember being a kid and, and being at their house, and it was, uh, it was great to hear the memories from his life. Through that, we laughed and we smiled. But when that sergeant called out his name and there was no answer, it hit me. It hit me at the gravity of the situation, the weightiness of the situation. And tears came up to my eyes for the first time in that service. As I processed the situation, I sat there and I thought about how respectful we are in those situations and how we revere the service of men and women to our country and how we, we know that we are indebted to them. And we could never repay the debt that we owe to those men and those women who have paid their, given their lives for the service of our country. But I thought about the formality and the tradition that is followed in that service. To those guys, and if you've ever been to those services, you know that's how they go. It's formal. It's traditional. And none of us complain about it. I don't think anybody sat there and thought, man, they really need to modernize this tradition. None of us thought, man, I tell you what, this is, this is a little bit over the top, guys. You just... Why are you in your dress uniforms? Come on, this isn't necessary. But then I thought, why do we feel the need to remove formality and tradition from our Christian observances? If we're willing to, to respect and show reverence to someone who has served our country, why do we feel the need to dumb down our, our respect and reverence especially when it comes to things like the Lord's Supper. The Lord's table came to my mind right as I was sitting there. Sitting there at the end of that service, that's what I thought about. Should we attempt to deformalize the service? I really have no idea how First Baptist did the Lord's Supper before I came, as far as who distributed and how that worked. I, I, I never saw it. I came in and just started doing it the way that I saw it done growing up. There's no one right way or wrong way to do what we're doing tonight as far as how it is administered and and the order and all those things. There's no necessarily right and wrong ways. But do we try to make it something that's more pleasing to the world? Do we try to make it something that is more pleasing to our flesh? Should we deformalize this service? Are our traditions good or are they bad? Uh, you know, I've talked about this many times. If traditions become the important thing, then our traditions need to go away. Tradition does not make something good. However, tradition can be good. And it can be positive. I came to the conclusion that we need to consider the weightiness of the situation. Do all services in our church need to be with absolute solemn face and, and, and no, no laughter, no joking. Of course you know that that's not the way I am. Um, and I don't think that's the way the Lord's asked us to be. So there's two church ordinances. There's baptism and there is the Lord's Supper. When someone gets baptized, we treat it as a joyful celebration. Um, you, we, we see that. We're, we're excited. I get excited to fill the baptistry, especially now that it's not going to leak all over everywhere. Um, but I, I just I love getting to fill the baptistry. I love getting to baptize people. And other than maybe a family member who has been an integral part of that person's life or something, for the most part, there's no tears. Somebody may have tears of joy, um, but for the most part, there's no tears. Um, 
it's almost all smiles and joy, and I think it should be. Why? Because a sinner that's been saved by the grace of God has just publicly identified himself or herself as a repentant, um, saved follower of Christ. That person is also picturing the death and the burial, but also the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so everything about it is something that is a positive thing. It's something that we, we rejoice in. Then we come to the Lord's table. It simply has a different feel, doesn't it? It always has in my life. It's always been different to come together to receive the Lord's Supper, to, to observe this ordinance. It's always been that way for me. This time here, we picture the broken body of Jesus, his blood that was shed as a ransom for many. But how should we treat this time? Should this time be somber or should it be joyful? Well, we should consider the weightiness of the situation. In Psalm 2.11, the Bible says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. How do we rejoice with trembling? So what do we do? We do both. In, in 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul wrote this, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. He says we're to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. These two things seem to be um, against each other. You can't have sorrow and rejoicing. But some of you, especially if you're older, and if you've been through life, you understand that there are times in life where it is sorrow and it's rejoicing. Dropping Lindsay off at college was one of the most sorrowful times of my life. I mean, I, I wept over that more than just about anything I've ever wept over my life. But it was also joy of knowing that she's moving on with her life and that she's gotten this far and we're proud of her for that. And I know that many of you have been through that. Dropping Ashley off was a little bit easier because Ashley, because we knew Lindsay was going to be there with her, but there was a lot of the same. There was tears, but there was also joy in knowing that they're moving on in their lives to serve the Lord and to, to get an education to do it better. When you said goodbye to that parent, that loved Christ. There was sorrow because a part of your life was gone. But there was rejoicing for them because they were now with the Lord. So we understand that. The observance of this ordinance is like the funeral of a Christian soldier, a time for rejoicing and for sorrow. I'm sorrowful that my sin required a payment that I could not only that could only be satisfied by my death an eternal separation from God into a place called hell. Yet I rejoice that Jesus loves me and is willing to do whatever it takes to save me from the penalty of my sin. I'm sorrowful that the redemption of my sins required Jesus to suffer, to bleed, for his body to be broken and for him to die in my place. Yet I rejoice that God loved me enough to send his holy begotten son for this purpose. And now I've been restored to a right relationship with my maker. And we'll spend an eternity with him. So, how do we come to this table? Well, I think we need to come considering the weightiness of the situation. We come sorrowful and solemn, yet we come rejoicing. Because it is through the broken body and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we have redemption from our sins. So briefly, before we... Before we observe the ordinance, I want to go walk through some verses in 1 Corinthians. 
And I want us to, to help us approach this table rightly. How do we approach it? What do we do when we come to this table? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and then to chapter 11. The first thing I, I want to, to give you is that when we come to this table, we need to consider our communion. We need to consider our communion. Verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all, we are, we are all partakers of that one bread. Meaning Jesus. Um, you know, growing up, I, I always heard this ordinance as the Lord's Supper. I default to the term the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's table is another is another term that's been used. The word communion tends to have more of an ecumenical feel. Okay, so uh, it wasn't a word that was used when I was growing up, but it is biblical because verse 16 says this is the communion of the body uh, of the blood of Christ. It is the communion of the body of Christ. The word communion simply means fellowship. It is the fellowship of the body of Christ. It is the fellowship of the blood of Christ. This ordinance, along with baptism, is not only a personal event. It is not something that you do on your own. It's not something that you just do in your backyard in a pool to get baptized. It is a church event. It is a church uh, ordinance. God gave it to the church. It is something that we, as a body of believers, do together to show our unity, to show our fellowship. This is not about uniformity, but it is about unity, and the unity that we have in the gospel. It is the communion of the body. It is the communion of the blood of our, of our Savior. Unity is not achieved by trying to find people who have the exact same theories as we do, to have the exact same ideas that we do, that think like us or have the same preferences that we do. Unity in the church is people having a fellowship of the gospel in common and then foregoing their wants, their desires, their preferences in order to become one in mind with others. That's what unity is. Here's the most important thing we have in common. The body and the blood of Christ. So if you're a member of First Baptist Church, consider your fellowship with this body. Is there a division that shouldn't be there? Number two, consider the Creator. Turn over one chapter to chapter 11, verse number 24. First, the verse says, and when he had given thanks. I'm going to stop right there because we often only associate this ordinance with Jesus Christ. But even Jesus, when he instituted it, he prayed to his Father. Yes, God, the Son, prayed to God the Father and thanked him for the bread and the wine that they would receive that night. We commemorate the broken body, the shed blood of God the Son. But we also give thanks to the Father for his plan of redemption, for the execution of that plan of redemption that came through Jesus Christ. So we need to consider the Creator. Number three, consider the cross. Look at verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Everything about what we're doing is really about the cross. 
Everything, the body and the blood, it was broken and it was shed there on the cross. That is, considering the cross is the one thing that we remember to do each time, I think. This is the one thing that doesn't slip our minds when we come together for the Lord's table. We're looking at an event that happened 2,000 years ago. We're, We're looking back, but we desire the remembrance of that event to be at the forefront of our minds and our hearts. More than any other event in our history or in human history. Jesus said this. He said, this do in remembrance of me. John Piper wrote this. Therefore, the mental action of the Lord's Supper is foundationally remembering. Not imagining, not dreaming, not channeling, not listening, not going into neutral. It is a conscious directing of the mind back in history to Jesus and what we know about him from the Bible. I thought that's a great point. This is not a time to, for some weird mystical meditation. Meditation on the Word of God means we're focused on it. We're, we're looking to it. So consider today that without the cross, we would not be here. We would be, if we're still on this earth, we would be worshiping ourselves instead of worshiping a Savior. But as we worship ourselves, we'd be walking through life, walking towards the cliff of damnation. That is only avoidable through the blood of Jesus Christ. So consider the cross with Jesus dying there, but then consider the empty cross and the empty tomb that he left. Number four, consider his coming. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Paul said that by remembering Jesus this way, we are showing the Lord's death. But how long are we supposed to do that? When does, when does this end? Like Jesus started it 2,000 years ago. When does this end? It ends when the Lord comes. When the Lord comes, there's no more need for this. After Jesus told the disciples to drink the cup, he said this in Matthew 26, verses 28 and 29. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So when we drink this cup, we look to the time we will be together with our Savior in his kingdom. Consider that this observance should direct our hearts to the return of Jesus. Because he is not on the cross. He is not in the tomb. But he is at the right hand of the Father waiting for his Father to say, Go, son, go get your bride. And we look forward to his coming as we observe this ordinance. Number five, consider your conscience. When we consider the the completed payment for our sins, the empty tomb, and the imminent return of Christ, we rejoice. But one of the weighty aspects of this table is who should partake of this ordinance. Look at verse number 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. You see, when we're to be judged, he's not talking about we're to judge each other. 
And in chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, this was not about you looking at everybody else and making sure everybody else is right. He's talking about we judge ourselves or God will judge. So one of the weighty aspects is, are you worthy? Now, of course, none of us are worthy of the fellowship with our Father, with our Savior. None of us are worthy of that. This is speaking in the manner in which we come. How are we approaching this table? Have you prepared your heart for this? I, I often, and I try to give us a few moments, and we will do that again tonight, a few moments to, uh, to examine your heart, to confess sin. But that should not be held off. That's kind of like a last-minute cleanup to make sure everything's good. That should not be held off until this time once a month. That is something that should be happening daily, hourly sometimes, that I need to confess my sins and make sure my heart is right with God. Don't come to this table if you're not coming in a worthy manner. There should be no unbelievers coming to this table. There should be no one with unconfessed sin. There should be no one under church discipline. There should be no one believing a different gospel. There should be no one who is sowing discord among the body. To my knowledge, there is no one sowing discord among the body. To my knowledge, there is no one here that is believing a different gospel. There is nobody here who is under church discipline. And maybe there's unbelievers, I don't know, but I, I do know this. There's, it's very possible that there is someone here with unconfessed sin. Someone here who has not gotten their heart right with God. You're better, you're better than taking it. You're better passing it by. Now you're better to confess it and get your heart right with God. I believe the best way to do this is to encourage only members of First Baptist Church to partake of the elements. Members, consider your relationship with God. Consider your relationship with others. Is there anything between you and your Savior? I believe these are things that we should consider before coming to the table. So if you are a member of First Baptist Church, I hope tonight there would be no reason that you would say, no, I'm not going to take the Lord's Supper. I hope that any reason that you have, you say, well, I don't like this person. That is something you need to confess. Stop blaming the other person. Well, I don't agree with this. This says you need to come with the right heart. This is about you and your heart, not about everybody else. So as our deacons and elders come forward to help me serve the supper, I'm going to ask you nicely to put away your phones, to put away anything that might distract you, and focus your mind. Focus your mind on those things that your mind, is, as John Piper said, that your mind won't go into neutral, that you're not imagining, dreaming, channeling, you're not trying to do any of those strange things, but you're simply directing your mind back in history to, to Jesus and to his sacrifice on the cross. So I'm going to ask you to put away anything that might distract you and consider the weightiness of this time. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.